0: the wlcc brandon
1: faith talk tampa online at letstalkfaith.com or listen on TuneIn and odyssey
0: following is sponsored by verse by verse ministries and is pre-recorded
1: listen think very carefully think very carefully that if you believe that there is anything you can do to save yourself then you have placed yourself under a bondage of trying to live perfectly that's the only way you could be justified by self is to be perfect perfect obedience perfect righteous behavior you can't do it that's why we need christ as our savior he perfectly obeyed the law in our place everything and then he paid the penalty in his death for all the laws we broke that's mercy that's grace
2: if we could only grasp how great is the mercy of God and how wide is His grace that He extends to all who come to trust in Christ alone for their salvation, we would find our lives radically changed. Welcome again to another radio Bible class of the air known as Verse by Verse. We are in a series of studies taken from Galatians chapter 5. Our topic today in this message on Maintaining Our Freedom in Christ Part 2 is is why should God allow you into his heaven? Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel is our instructor. Have your Bible, notebook, and something to write with as we begin our class. Here is Pastor Steve.
1: Why should we maintain our liberty in the Lord? Number one, because Christ has set us free to be free. Secondly, we maintain our liberty in the Lord because religious slavery is eternally fatal. It's not something to be trifled with. It is eternally fatal. Verse two says this, behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. What Paul has to say, folks, in this verse is so important that he actually begins it by calling attention to his authority as an apostle. Notice he writes, behold, I, Paul, now they know who this letter is from, obviously, he's saying it for a reason. Behold, I, Paul, what he means by this is mark my words. That's what behold means. Look, pay attention. Mark my words because these words are from me, Paul, Christ's apostle. And what are these apostolic words that we're supposed to pay close attention to? It's this, if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And do you realize what Paul is actually saying here? He's telling the Galatians that if any one of them were to receive circumcision, then the atoning work of Christ's death on the cross will be of absolutely no benefit to them. In other words, he's telling them, if you become circumcised, you can't be saved. Can't be saved. Now, why was that the case? I mean, after all, Paul was circumcised. All the apostles were circumcised. Paul even had Timothy as an adult go through the surgical procedure of circumcision. In fact, in just a few verses later, I read to you before, verse 6, Paul says that neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. So if circumcision means nothing, then why does Paul say here that if they receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you? Listen very closely. What Paul is telling the Galatians, who is Gentiles, had not been circumcised as male infants, that if they were to undergo the surgical procedure of circumcision, watch this, for the purpose of gaining merit with God and being justified before him, then the atoning work of Christ will not be of any benefit to them. That's what he's saying. In other words, if you decide to place your trust in circumcision as the basis for your salvation, then you cannot be saved by Jesus Christ. Because to trust in circumcision for salvation is to not trust in Christ for salvation. Now, folks, this is a vital truth that many people do not understand. And I know that's the case because there are some, even in our own church, who wonder who wonder how they can tell if an individual is really a Christian or not. And you'll hear people like this say such things as, well, you know, this person says that they believe in Jesus. They say the right things that Jesus died for their sins. So how do I know if they're a true believer or not? Well, Paul tells us how. He spells it out for us here. How you can know where a person stands with Christ. He tells the Galatians that the issue is, note this, who or what they are trusting in for their salvation. If their trust is in their circumcision, or anything that they think they can do to earn salvation, then Paul says that Christ's death on the cross will be of no benefit to you. And the reason why Paul specifically focuses on circumcision is because the Judaizers insisted that circumcision was necessary to become Jewish and then to be saved. That's exactly what we read in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. So men from Jerusalem said, unless they are circumcised, they cannot be saved. And so for any of the Galatians then to be circumcised actually meant that they had made a decision to trust in this ritual, which symbolized becoming a Jewish lawkeeper as the means of their justification. That's why Paul said, if you really If you really buy into this thinking and receive circumcision as the basis for your salvation, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. He can't be. See, here's what the whole issue boils down to. And the way you can tell if you are a Christian or if someone who you know is a Christian, either your faith is in Christ alone for your salvation or it isn't in him at all regardless of what you believe or someone else believes, if it's not in Christ alone for salvation, then it is not in him at all. You see, to be a Christian means that your faith rests entirely in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross as the basis for your salvation. He is, in other words, the sole object of your faith and your hope of going to heaven when you die. But if you think, that Christ is not enough for your salvation and that you need something, something more than him and his atoning sacrifice to make salvation complete and certain like water baptism or church membership or good deeds or observance of, of the sacraments or keeping certain religious feasts or eating only Old Testament kosher foods or anything like that, then Paul says Christ will be of no benefit to you because your faith is not in him alone for your salvation. And faith alone is the whole issue. Faith alone is the issue of salvation because as someone once put it, a Christ supplemented is a Christ supplanted. A Christ supplemented is a Christ supplanted. See, to supplement Jesus with anything you think you you can do to earn salvation is to replace Jesus Christ as the sole object of your faith. Note this well, to be a Christian, Christ must be your one and only Savior, not a number, not one of a number of saviors. Your one and only Savior. Otherwise, you are not a true Christian. And what you end up with then is a religion of ritualism that may have, yes, some Christian flavor, some even biblical flavor to it, but it is not Christian. And it is not biblical because Christ is not the sole object of your faith for salvation. This is why when someone says that you have to be baptized as a necessity for salvation, and many do say that, it is not a minor issue. Or someone who says you have to add good works to faith in Christ, you have to do something. It is not a minor issue. It is the heart of the gospel. When I witness to someone one-on-one and I'm evangelizing someone, I like to ask them this question. If you were to die today and stand before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Now, the reason I asked that question, If you died today and you stood before God and he said to you, why should I let you into my heaven? is because it forces a person to tell me who they're trusting in for their salvation? If it's all about them, then I know that their faith is in them and what they can do. If it's Christ alone, I know that they have put their faith in Him. That's what they attest to me. It's a very important question. I don't ask people, "Are you a Christian?" I don't say, "Well, do you know the Lord?" Because their answers wouldn't tell me what they're trusting in, but If God said to you, why should I let you into my heaven? They're going to tell me the basis of their faith, the object of their faith. Now, many have told me that they believe in Jesus Christ. When I say, what what will you say to God? If they answer something like this, it's because of Christ, what he's done for me on the cross. In my heart, I go, yes. But then I often hear, and, and then my heart goes, oh, no. And they want to tell me all the good things that they've done. Yes, I believe in Jesus. He died for me. And I'm, I'm trying to do the best I can. Now, I understand sometimes people have misunderstood that question. And they're just saying, yes, I want to obey him out of, out of love for him. And I understand that. But more often than I'd like, people are telling me what the Galatians were feeling. Yes, I believe in Jesus. But I also am doing all of these things. And I, I hope. By doing all that, God will let me into heaven. What Paul is telling the Galatians and us is that we've been set free. Christ's death is sufficient for our salvation. It's not Christ plus something else. It's not Christ in addition. Christ is the sole object of our faith, not anything we've done. But Paul has told the Galatians that the reason why this is so vital to affirm and maintain our freedom in Christ is because to slip back into religious slavery may very well mean that we have never been saved in the first place. And that would be eternally fatal because after hearing the gospel, someone decides to put their trust in something other. They make a conscious decision to place their trust in something other than Christ for salvation, whether it be circumcision or baptism or anything like that proves that they were never saved in the first place. When I hear about people who profess faith in Christ, but now they go back to a false religious system that stresses salvation by works, my heart grieves because I know they never trusted Christ. You can't possibly have trusted Christ for salvation and then start trusting something else. Remember, the Galatians were just contemplating this, but Paul is saying if you make that final decision, you're lost. You're absolutely lost. You can't benefit from Christ's death because you're not relying on Him alone for salvation. So he's telling them, be careful, don't flirt with enslaving legalism. Denounce it while you can and affirm that your trust is in Christ alone for your salvation. But what if, what if some of the Galatians, after hearing Paul's words, did decide not to heed his strong warning? Remember, they're just thinking about this now. What if they decided to receive circumcision regardless of what Paul has said, thinking that, well, along with my faith in Christ, circumcision certainly wouldn't help. Uh, wouldn't hurt rather, it would help, it would secure my salvation. More significantly, what if you reject Paul's warning about trusting in something in addition to Christ, thinking, well, you know what? It couldn't hurt me to make sure that I'm going to go to heaven by adding something religious to my resume, you know, just in case Jesus isn't enough, then I'm covered. I'm covered. I'll be as religious as I can. Well, Paul has some very solemn words for anyone who does not listen to his apostolic warning and places their faith in something other than Christ for salvation. Here's his warning, verse 3. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. Paul testifies to the Galatians that if any of them does decide to go ahead and receive circumcision for their salvation, then he wants them to know that this decision to keep just one of the Old Testament laws obligates them to keep the entire Old Testament law. See, what Paul is telling them is that the right of circumcision, that's just the beginning. It's only the beginning of keeping the law for salvation. It doesn't stop there. It can stop there with just circumcision because once you enter a system of works salvation, and in this case, the system of keeping the Old Testament law, then you have obligated yourself to keeping all the laws as the basis for your salvation. In other words, they couldn't pick and choose which of the Old Testament laws that they wanted to obey to be righteous before God. Circumcision was just one of a system of many laws, many laws under the Old Covenant. So to obey one of them for salvation, if that's your hope, meant that you had to obey all of them for salvation. Now, what Paul is really saying, folks, to the Galatians is that before you choose to be circumcised, understand what you're getting yourself into, because it is really more than you bargain for. If you decide to be circumcised for salvation, then it means that you have made the decision of taking on the entire Jewish legal system as the way of salvation. And that is a burden no one can bear. It's exactly what Jesus was saying in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who are trying to bear this burden, but can't, I'll give you rest. See no one is capable of keeping all of those laws perfectly but Christ alone. Notice Paul said this in Galatians 3:10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. You want to get to heaven by being good? You have to be perfect. James says the same thing in James chapter 2 verse 10. When he says, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. If you were to keep, in theory, this doesn't work out in real life, but if you were to keep, in theory, all of the laws of God, but on your deathbed, you blew it. You didn't keep a law, you'd perish. You'd perish. You have to keep it all, perfectly, all the time. Listen, think very carefully. Think very carefully that if you believe that there is anything you can do to save yourself then you have placed yourself under a bondage of trying to live perfectly. That's the only way you can be justified by self is to be perfect. Perfect obedience, perfect righteous behavior. You can't do it. That's why we need Christ as our savior. He perfectly obeyed the law in our place. Everything. And then he paid the penalty in his death for all the laws we broke. That's mercy, that's grace. This is why anyone who thinks that they can be saved by doing something, whether it be of a religious nature like baptism or just kind deeds in general, if that's what you are relying upon to gain standing before God, you have become then a slave. A slave to trying to be good enough because you have committed yourself to an impossible burden of earning your salvation. That means that you have to be perfect. You're not, I'm not. We sin by what we say, what we think, what we do, what we fail to do. Paul has told the Galatians that Christ by his death has set them free, free from the bondage of trying to be good enough to go to heaven. Therefore, they need to maintain this freedom by not succumbing to the thought that they can be saved by something in addition to Christ. Folks, the same thing is true of us true of us if you have professed to trust christ as your only savior then cling to him as your one and only basis for heaven and don't be drawn into any form of legalism any form that that someone offers you either for salvation or sanctification you can't be saved by legalism you cannot be made holy by legalism all you need is jesus christ according to colossians Paul said, you are complete in him. His death is that all sufficient sacrifice for you. That's why the book of Hebrews said that he sat down. His work is finished. Do you realize that a a priest who sacrificed in the temple never sat down? The temple had all kinds of items in it, but it did not have a chair because the work of a priest was never done. He could never rest. There are always more sins to, to, to deal with. The Bible says that Christ has sat down because his work is finished. All you need is Jesus. And to help us to remember that Christ's death is totally sufficient for our sins and that he has set us free from trying to work our way to heaven, the Lord established what is commonly known as the Lord's Supper, communion, the Lord's table. It's an ongoing way to jog our memory and bring us back to the truth concerning what he has done for us on the cross. And I want to read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I I read this almost every time we have communion. I hope you are not so familiar with these words that it doesn't impact you anymore. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. At the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread, or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in doing so, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. The Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, he established something known as the Lord's Supper so that we would be forced, forced to remind ourselves of the significance of his death. See, it is very easy for us to get so busy, so caught up in the challenges of life that we fail to to really think, ponder, the meaning of Christ's death. And it is easy for us to overlook the importance of the Lord's Supper so that we do not take it seriously or even think that we need to participate in it as if it's an option. The proof that we don't take the Lord's Supper seriously enough is that we tend to look at it as something, well, if it's convenient, I'll participate. Yes, I'm in church on Sunday morning and they're having the Lord's Supper, so I'm glad I'm here. But what if we were to have it tonight? Would you be back? Probably not, unless that was your your habit. See, we we look at the Lord's Supper as if it's an option. And we know that, hey, my salvation is not dependent upon it. Salvation is by grace, right? Absolutely, that's what we just heard a message of. But Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He has commanded us to observe the, the Lord's Supper, to gather with other believers, and to collectively remember why he died. So every believer is to take the bread and the cup in order to remember consciously, be forced to remember what he did for them. This is a time commanded by our Lord to reflect on the meaning of his death. It's not to be taken lightly. This is a time where we think about his death and we also examine our own hearts to make sure we're not hypocrites. That while we're thinking about the preciousness of him dying for our sins, we're not in sin. We are to repent of anything the Lord brings to our minds. We're not to be morbidly introspective. But we are to consider, is there something in my attitude? Am I holding a grudge against somebody? Have I not forgiven anybody? Do I have a malice in my heart towards someone? Is there something in my life that's dishonoring to the Lord that I need to deal with? This is a time to think about those things. And then partake of the Lord's Supper once we repent and confess our sin. This is only for believers. If you're not a believer, we are proclaiming to you the Lord's death. And we'll do this until Christ comes again so let's take a few minutes to think about the wonder of our savior's death the death that set us free from the bondage of struggling to be good enough to go to heaven let's examine our hearts and if need be repent of anything that should not be in our lives father thank you for setting us free free from the entanglements of legalism, Lord, I think of all those people that I know who are still caught up in trying to live by some standard that they can't possibly live by. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for freeing us. What drudgery, what bondage, what absolute horror to be living a life of trying to be good enough to get to heaven. What deception. I pray if there be anyone here like that, open their hearts. Open their minds to the gospel of grace. And Lord, we as your people now come to the table that you've set before us to remember your death. I pray that we'll take it more seriously than ever before as as a church of believers. I pray, Lord, that we'll honor you in our thoughts, that we'll repent of anything we need to repent of, and that this would be a precious time that you would be glorified. Pray this in Jesus' name.
2: Thanks, Pastor Steve, for this reminder of what the Lord's Supper should mean to us. You can listen again to this study and all previous studies on verse by verse by going to our website, versebyverseradio.org. If you would like to order a CD of this message in both parts without any interruptions, call verse by verse at 727 239 0306. Thanks for joining our class today.